Open your Bible to Mark chapter 7. As you're doing that, just a reminder that immediately after the service is a, a time that we call halftime and uh, a great uh, space to eat some food and meet a bunch of people if uh, you want to chat afterwards. Today's halftime is hosted by our Bridges uh, home group, uh, the group that meets here on Sunday nights, and they're very excited to host today, so make sure you say hi to them and, and thank them for their food and hospitality. But that's immediately after the service today. All right, Mark chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 24 and make our way all the way through the end of the chapter to the beginning of chapter 8. So Mark 7, verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the, dinners, the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee to the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on them. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Apatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one, but the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. The word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we ask that uh, our ears would be open to you, that our hearts would be open to you, and that we would be able to receive from you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, the story we have this morning is of a Gentile woman here who heard about Jesus. We're not quite sure how she did, but like many mothers, uh, they're quite resourceful when their children are hurting. And so this mom is probably no different from any other mother. Uh, Mark tells us that she's Syrophoenician by birth. And Matthew in chapter 15 tells us that she's a Canaanite. And what this information tells us is that she was of Canaanite descent, that she was a native of Syria and Phoenicia, that she was Greek in religion and probably most likely spoke Greek. And she's definitely not Jewish. And so the Canaanites... Um, a little bit of background about them. They were around thousands of years before Christ. 
they are, there are prehistoric records of the Canaanites as well as written records found by archaeologists dating back to the early Bronze Age in 3500 BC. So this is a very learned culture. This is one of the first cultures with an alphabet. And so we actually know quite a bit about the Canaanites because it's recorded a lot in our Bible in the opposition they had towards the Israelites. And so Mark makes it pretty clear that from their histories that these two groups really don't like each other and these two groups are not friendly towards each other at all. But this is a very, very desperate mother who was willing to lay everything aside in their histories to help her daughter. And so forget about the history of strife and the history of, of fighting between her people and the Jewish people. Forget about her own personal beliefs and anything that could possibly hold her back from meeting Jesus. Her daughter needed something because everything else that she tried didn't work. So she went to Jesus because her daughter had this unclean spirit, which means she probably already went to her own gods to seek deliverance, and she probably went to her own medical workers to seek healing. And so as she went to her own temple and she went to see the clergy there, those who are familiar with the Old Testament know some of these deities of the Canaanites, and you've heard of these like Baal or Dagon or Molech or Asherah. Um, all those are the Canaanite gods. And the god that was the one attributed towards healing was this god named Eshman. If she was desperate enough to go see Jesus, to go see help from the enemy, she surely would have already gone to her own gods, right? She would have done that already. And this is where we find her at Jesus' feet. Verse 24. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. This house that Jesus went to was probably a house that he had planned to go to to get some rest. We've been going over the last few weeks that Jesus has been seeking rest. And he hasn't been able to find it because wherever he's going, there's a ton of people. And so wherever he goes, this large crowd follows. And maybe the thought in going to this house is to move into a Gentile area because in all of the Jewish areas, he's been following. So I'm like, okay, let's go to a Gentile area, and maybe it's not going to be as bad. But it's no different. Jesus could not be hidden. This mother locates Jesus for her suffering daughter. Mark recorded the story for us in the third person. What's interesting is if you go to Matthew's account of this story, it's recorded in the first person. It's in Matthew chapter 15. I want us to just take a look at Matthew's account of this because it gives us different insights into this story. It starts in verse 22. And behold, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. Now what happens next is quite surprising and it can be interpreted as quite offensive. We know Jesus to be a compassionate person and to be a good shepherd to a sheep without a shepherd, but his response to this lady, it just seems kind of out of character for Jesus. Let's turn uh, to verse, back to uh, 27 in Mark's account. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. 
Now, how can Jesus respond in such a way to a suffering woman who is desperate to see her child healed? I mean, it seems rude. Now, let's frame this interaction between Jesus and this woman a little bit. What was right before this story? Jesus was going into purity. Jesus was talking about defilement, right, with the washing of hands and what enters a person's body is not what... uh, makes them dirty it's what comes out right that's not what makes them unclean and so that was right before and so jesus dealt with the pharisees who were so concerned about their purity that they avoided anything that could make them unclean and so here we have a gentile which could also make them unclean and not just a gentile but a canaanite a history of fighting A pagan who had this demon-possessed daughter, which is also considered unclean. So all these layers of uncleanness, of defilement. And if Jesus was as concerned about purity as those Pharisees were, there would still be a lot of sick people. There would be no lepers who would be healed. There would be dead people who would not be raised because all of them were considered unclean. And so here's another opportunity for Jesus to show that their purity laws were ineffective because here's a Gentile woman who's seeking Jesus' help. The Jewish religious leaders were so concerned with how things looked on the outside that they couldn't do the right thing even when an opportunity was right in front of them. In chapter 7, verse 23, Jesus said, All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so this was something the disciples had a really hard time understanding. They asked Jesus about this in verse 17. And so what we have here in this story of the Canaanite woman and Jesus is Jesus living out these lessons. Jesus living out those explanations that he was giving his disciples. Showing us what he just taught about purity and defilement and helping us understand what really defiles a person. Defilement is not a person's health. Defilement is not a person's race. This Canaanite woman understood what the Pharisees and the disciples didn't. She's pretty assured that Jesus is going to come through for her, but how? And how does she even understand who Jesus is and why he came? How did she know what to say when she saw Jesus in Matthew 15, 22? Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. How does she know that? Turn back with me to Matthew's account. Matthew 15, Because Mark doesn't give us a glimpse into Jesus' silence, and Matthew does. In verse 23, it says, But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. I don't think Jesus was being a punk here. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. And this is a perfect example of someone who understood what the Pharisees and the disciples did not understand. And he was going to use it as a lesson recorded for us in Matthew and Mark for all of us. And so the disciples don't get it, even though they had some private time of Jesus explaining these things. They actually beg him to send her away. But he doesn't. He doesn't because he knows this Canaanite woman gets it, and he answers the disciples with verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. They know this. 
They know this already. This was his mission. And because he was clothed in humanity, he is not omnipresent and he could only do so much. He was sent to reveal to the Jewish people the kingdom of God and that he is Messiah. And this is why the vast majority of Jesus' ministry is in Galilee and Judea. We don't see Jesus go to the most influential cities of the world at the time. We don't see him in Rome, in Alexandria, in Athens. He's not in those places. Now, if you wanted to change the world, you'd think that you'd go to the most powerful and influential cities of the time. You'd think you'd do that. That's what we do as, as we look at church planting, right? As, as people look as where they want to go. They want to go to San Francisco or L.A. or New York City or Atlanta or Chicago. They want to go to these bigger cities. They don't look to smaller cities usually. But God doesn't do that. Jesus was sent to Galilee. Jesus was sent to Judea. And in verse 25 of Matthew 15, but she came and knelt before him saying, Lord, help me. She seemed to know that Jesus was sent to the Jews. She seemed to know this, but she needed his help. Her daughter needed help that no one else was able to provide. And she asked Jesus to help her. And these parts in Matthew aren't in Mark. And so now that we have that background from Matthew, we can turn back to Mark, verse 27 again. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Ouch. Like, she's called a dog. Right? And so the, the woman had a child who needed help, and Jesus said that. Well, something to keep in mind is that Jesus was using some very well-known speech amongst the Jews and the Gentiles. Everyone knew that Jews referred to Gentiles as dogs. And Jesus used this very well-known speech to affirm that he was sent to Israel first. And so Jews and, and people like this woman also knew that Messiah came to feed the Jews first. Now, I know we are in the Bay Area and many people here believe that dogs are equal to children. <laughs> but I just need you to know that most of the world doesn't. I'm, before you get mad at me, I'm a dog person. Okay, so just, if you know me, you know I'm a dog person. But most of the world believes that feeding the family dog, who's part of the family, before the children is not right. Most of the world. And by the way, Jesus is using the Greek word for dog here for family pet. Okay, the, the domesticated dog, not the scavenging dog word. So, so for everyone who equates a dog to children, Jesus is speaking your language. He's agreeing. Okay, so Jesus seems to be checking out where this woman was at. It, it seems that he's fairly confident that her faith in him is pretty solid. And she's able to understand what's going on. And her reply is just, just it's fantastic. But he, she answered him, yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Oh, touche. Good. It's pretty witty. I mean, this is a pretty witty reply, right? This is a smart woman. And I, I think we're missing a lot in this interaction, actually. I think we're missing a lot of what's happening between Jesus and this woman. I think there is a lot that is communicated that isn't recorded in this text. 
that things were communicated through their eyes and their tone and just these different nonverbals and smiles and like, you know, shifty eyes or like cheeks or whatever. Like they're, they're like messing with each other, right? Well, and what, so what we have here is this glimpse of what followers of Jesus will do when, when they are sent to preach the gospel to the ends of the earth. The Jewish religious leaders, they were just so insular, and Jesus steps out of that into Tyre and Sidon. And he said to her, For this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and demon gone. This series of events is a picture of coming to Jesus. See, this Canaanite woman didn't come to Jesus with entitlement. She didn't come to Jesus in pride. She, she didn't interrogate Jesus with who she thinks that he is. She didn't approach Jesus in arrogance, thinking that she was right. She approached him, acknowledging him as the son of David, and that she needed him. And that's the only way to approach Jesus is, Lord, help me. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. We took a look at Matthew's gospel of the Canaanite woman because it gave us further insight into this story. And now we enter into a story that is only found in the gospel of Mark. This story here is only in Mark. We've, we've turned to this verse several times in our study of the gospel of Mark and it's good to turn back to every once in a while to remind us of why Mark wrote this gospel. It's Mark chapter 1, verse 15. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God, the reign of God has been established by Jesus. The, the Bible is full of prophecies about the reign of of God through Messiah and what this kingdom is going to look like. Now, the rest of the story today will show us this. And before we continue with this story, I want to highlight what the prophet Isaiah wrote hundreds of years before Jesus healed this blind and mute man. Isaiah 35, verses 5 and 6. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy, for waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. So here we have a deaf man who had a speech impediment, according to verse 32. Now, this is a really fascinating thing, and uh, maybe some of you don't care about this, but I, I, I thought that this was really fascinating. The Greek word for our English translation, speech impediment, only appears in the Greek in this verse throughout the entire New Testament. This is the only time that it comes up. But when looking at the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, the word does appear, and it appears once. And it's in Isaiah 35, verse 6. Like, how did that happen, right? Like, how, like, out of all the words, I mean, it's uncanny, isn't it? Isn't it? It's not coincidence, right? And so the people familiar with Isaiah anticipated that this is what Messiah would do and those reading Mark would recognize the reign of God in Jesus through this story of people bringing, Jesus, bringing to Jesus this man who was deaf and had this speech impediment. Now let's not just brush by this because let's take notice that there were multiple people 
who brought this man to Jesus. And, and just like the Canaanite mother who interceded for her daughter's well-being, here's a, group, here's a group of people interceding for the well-being of this man. And we see this time and time again when people bring their loved ones to Jesus. Like the four guys who brought the paralytic to Jesus in Mark chapter 2. There's just something that we need to realize that you need to realize about yourself that you have a tremendous impact in bringing people to Jesus. People who would otherwise not encounter Jesus are brought to him by your prayers, by your actions, by your love for them. And you look at verse 32 again and you notice that they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. We have a lot of people here who care about justice and righteousness and desire to see that prevail in our world. I, I love it about our church. And some of us do justice and we're involved in, in taking various actions. Others, not so much. But have we begged Jesus into our unrighteousness, into our injustices? Have we begged Jesus to come into our loved ones' challenges like this Canaanite woman, like this pe- these people who brought this deaf man? Have we brought them to Jesus, interceding for them? Have we begged? Now, do we understand that word? It's pleading, imploring. That there's emotion behind begging. That we really, really want what we're asking for. That we're consumed in needing Jesus to intervene. See, many people, they want justice But a lot of people aren't taking actions behind it. And then there's even fewer who are begging, begging God to break into it, to beg for our loved one's health problems. We're we're going to have an opportunity for this after the message. There there are some people here who have some health issues, and and there are people here who have loved ones who have health health issues. And and we as a community, we're, we're going to beg God to intercede for them. And that will continue into prayer tomorrow night as Jane's leading a healing prayer tomorrow night that you can come to. So if you or someone you want to intercede for needs us to beg God for healing, we'll do that. Now verse 33, And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting touched his tongue and looking up to heaven he sighed and said to him, Epphatha, that is, be opened. And some of you are thinking that's gross. Like wet willy and like why, why, Jesus, would you do that? Now you notice that Jesus took him aside privately. Jesus didn't want to make a big spectacle out of this. And, and then Jesus does some things that, that, are, that we look at as strange, right? Putting his fingers into this guy's ears and after spitting touched his tongue to, so to some. This may seem pretty odd, well, probably to all of us. But here's the thing. We know that this man is deaf. And what Jesus is simply doing is communicating with this man in the way that he'd understand since he lived in a world of silence. It's not like Jesus can tell him. right? So Jesus was simply communicating to him. It was his sign language, his Jewish sign language, right? 
And so the deaf man can't hear, so how is Jesus going to communicate that to him? Like this. And Jesus touches his ears and his tongue in the precise places that he needed healing to let him know, that's what I'm going to heal. Like, it's, you're not just going to be surprised and like if you are bald, you're going to grow hair because I touched your ear and your tongue, right? So that's what's going to be healed. And so Jesus looked to heaven and he sighed. So he's continuing to let this man know that he's looking to God, that he's communicating with God, that he's connecting spiritually and emotionally. You know, he's doing all of these different things to communicate to this man, this is what I'm doing for you. And so Jesus then also spoke, he said, epfatha. That is an Aramaic word and the common tongue of the people. And as you can tell, those pronunciations that that guy can probably read Jesus' lips saying epfatha. Like, right? It's not like a smooth word. It's a very enunciated word. And so he can see that word. He can see the sigh. He can see Jesus taking, he can feel Jesus taking the breath. He can feel the touching of the tongue and the ear. And he can be communicated to in this way in his silent world. So all of these communications methods for this man to know, Jesus is healing you. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly, and Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it, and they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This man was healed. Miraculous. Then Jesus told them to tell no one, but they, they can't keep that in. I mean, could we? If you had a loved one, that could not hear and that could not speak and all of a sudden they can do, like, okay, Jesus, we won't tell anybody. Like, you couldn't. Like, you couldn't do this, right? If, if They're astonished beyond measure and they recognize he has done all things well. So what we have here in this picture in this deaf man is what life is like without Jesus. And the Bible uses these illustrations of deafness, lameness, blindness, muteness, all of those things as pictures of life without Jesus. And, and when Jesus speaks into our life, our ears are opened. We, we are able to speak. When we come to faith, that is miraculous. Just like this man receiving his hearing and, and the transformation from not knowing Jesus to knowing Jesus is miraculous, like going from deafness to being able to hear. And after hearing Jesus, we're able to speak, to worship him, to talk about him, to talk to him. Now, speaking is a natural response from hearing. You are able to speak because you're able to hear. And after Jesus communicates to us in a way we can understand, we communicate to those around us, and we, we, we can't help it because we're astonished beyond measure, and we, we recognize everything that he has done, and it's been done well. You know, a uh, funny thing is um, every, we, we always work ahead in our, in our staff of a month ahead. So this sermon and what we're doing and all this stuff, like this prayer that we're going to have for healing for each other happened a month ago. 
And so um, I, I was wondering, like, am I going to get prayed for? Like, do I need a healing thing or whatever? And, and I'm thinking about these things. And so uh, Friday, I, I got hurt. God just has, like, weird timing. Um, but I, I have this injury because um, I, I was throwing a kick and um, I tore a muscle. So that dog. No, I'm kidding. Um, so I, I, I'm going to need prayer. I have a torn left calf muscle. And um, we're going to open that up for people here too. That if you are in need of prayer for healing, that we want to pray for you. If you have a loved one from afar that you would like us to pray for, we would like to pray for you. Like the Canaanite women, she, she didn't bring her daughter. That was just done by afar, and we, we believe that that can happen. And so we want to open that up for you as the worship team comes to lead us in worship. We want to open this time for that. Now, when, when you guys ask for prayer, you feel comfortable to disclose as much or as little as you want. You know, it's, it's based on your comfort level as, as what you want to share. We just want to be available to you to, to pray for you. And as that prayer happens and after you guys are done praying, we, we want to invite you guys up as a group as you guys kind of team up together and huddle up together to pray for one another, that you guys come up as a group and take communion together. And then you guys can go back to your seats. And so the communion elements are right up front here. We believe in the power of healing, that God answers those prayers, and we're just going to pray in faith for those things and for his will to be done. So I invite Jane and your team, and um, let's pray. And whoever is in need of prayer, please uh, raise up your hand. And we will, we will invite the people around them that you would pray for them.